You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 484. I'm Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen. Hello, David yep. Cohen. How are you? Hello. It's 485, isn't it? What'd I say? 484. Yeah, 485. Gotta keep it straight. <laughs> it's important. I don't know why, but it is. No, Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah. I don't even care, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, after a while, it's like, yeah, okay. It's a number. Doesn't mean yeah. anything. Unless it's like is a it? significant number, like 500 or something. Yeah, which is coming up. What are we going to do for that? Nothing. Uh, nothing. <laughs> we'll be like, you want to skip this week? All right. <laughs> um, so back before Christmas is the last time we did a show. And yep. one of the things that I think it was on this show, might have been on, I think it was on this, uh, we had talked about let me look. Is it was it this show? Pretty sure it was this show. Maybe not. Um, a new video game system I got coming in called the Logitech G Cloud Gaming Handheld. That's right. Yeah, it's kind of a, comp- a, a competitor to uh, the Steam Deck. Mm. Kind of, but not really. Well, it, it looks like a Steam Deck. Yeah. It's, it's it's an Android streaming handheld rather than the. The Steam Deck, which is a, a handheld PC, it has access to Google's store, obviously, which I, I looked at for five seconds and then got away from it. Um, it's well, big. You've got an iPhone, so most of those games you play on an iPhone if you play them at all. I don't play too many games on my iPhone itself. I prefer physical buttons. Yeah, well, I suppose that's what the Logitech gives you is, is an Android device with a physical controller combined. Yeah, I mean, it's still a touchscreen, don't get me wrong, but. Yeah. So I I got one now, and the big thing really is it can connect to Xbox Game Cloud, and you could stream games down. Yeah, which so, is something that's not to be uh, to compare as we're comparing the Steam Deck. You can't really do on the Steam Deck because Game Pass is not available in Steam, and um, so the only way to do it is through a browser on the Steam desktop mode or to wipe the Steam OS and install Windows and do it that way. Yeah, but that's not what you buy the game, the Steam Deck for. No, no, but, but that's what I'm saying. Is, is if, so this is this is a difference if you want to use Game Pass, if you're a big Game Pass user. Yep. Assuming, and I, bet, I guess you'll tell us whether it works any well, well for Game Pass or not. So one of the games that I played a lot of in 2022 was a game called Phoenix Rising. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it. It's kind of a Legend of Zelda type of game. Uh, it's it's different enough, but I got really into it. I, I played the heck out of it. Now, I was playing that on the PS5, mostly because yeah. Cole was uh, using my Xbox One. I've got the big Xbox down here, the XJ or whatever the heck it is. Um, so he plays on my account, uh, what, right. Years ago, what I should have done is just created a new Xbox account, and that would have been his. But no, I didn't do that. So if he's playing on the Xbox, I can't. Yeah. Because there is no family plan that actually does anything to work. So I played it on the PS5, and that kind of sets the expectations on what the game looks like, how it plays, uh, especially as deep as I dived into it. So I thought that's going to be the game I'm going to try out first because I know the gaming experience. And so I fired it up. 
I streamed the game because you don't download it. I yeah. mean, I, technically, you are downloading parts of it; otherwise, it wouldn't work at all. Well, it's, it's running on a it's running on a Xbox class VM or something, correct? In, in their servers, and and you're just downloading the, screen the bits output that, yeah. and yeah, and you're sending back your controller inputs. Um, no, I think it's a little bit more than that. I think it actually caches as you play, because if it was truly cloud based, it would be so choppy. Almost well, nobody that, could that's, play. Yeah, that's part of the magic of if, when it works of, of these streaming services is that they they minimise the latency. Yes. But at, at the end of the day, you are effectively remoting into a, a yes a gaming system in the cloud. So this thing has pretty decent graphics. It's 1080p, 60 frames a second, and I experienced close to 50 or 60 frames per second playing this game. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of artifacts going on, mm-hmm. especially in the sky. Yeah. But did it work? Yes. Would I want to play games like this regularly? Probably not. Now, one of the things that I saw in some of the reviews is, oh, the screen is actually better than the Steam Deck. It's not. I, I don't think it's as good. And the Steam Deck screen is, is adequate. It's not yes. fantastic. No, it's adequate, um, though. Yeah. I agree yeah. with that. This one is also adequate. Yeah. Um, when you're looking at browsers and stuff like that, it's fine. But when you get into games and you start getting these artifacts... Eh. So the the artifacts won't be to do with the screen technology. They will be to do with the compression that's being used to get the... Yeah, but everything was darker than I was expecting it to be. And it was yeah, darker I than I was also- expecting on the other handheld. I think that's also to do with the fact that it's not being rendered locally. Um, there's all sorts of tricks that these technologies use to try and limit the bandwidth of the stream right. and keep the keep the latency down. And those, you know, despite whatever anybody says, those do affect the way it looks. Yeah, and, and that's what you have to go with when you're playing it. How does it look? I don't care if it's yeah. stored locally or coming through the cloud. What I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing is what's important. And if it's yeah, and the, doing and such the a poor th- job, the experience isn't great. And also as well, it, it, there is that, that whole latency thing. You know, some people, I, I, even in the Steam Deck forum, some people say, oh, there's, there's uh, input lag on the Steam Deck, which I've never noticed. But some people claim they can detect sub-millisecond or, you know, one or two milliseconds of input lag, and it affects their gameplay. If that's you, that's fine, because it's not me. I've never experienced um, that either. No. But obviously, uh, and and to me, this is what's always let game streaming down because I've tried it. I've got a fast internet connection here now, uh, and I've tried it, and I found it very, very variable. Whatever device I use, yep. whether I use a Windows laptop, a Chromebook, uh, my i my iPad, uh, using the browser or, or whatever whatever device I've used, I've always found it to be variable. And to me, that's the problem with it. There are so many um, variables between you and the cloud game. So first of all, the this, the cloud server needs to be running properly, and um, you know Game Pass is effectively a beta service, so it isn't always running properly. Secondly, the network conditions between you and your house uh, and the the server need to be good enough to sustain gameplay. And then there's the whole business of how you're connecting in your house. Are you on a wireless router? What else is people doing? How busy is your internet connection? Uh, and then you get down to the device you're actually using as well. To me, I've always found the so there's so many variables there that you can't get a consistent experience. And unfortunately, there's nothing more annoying than feeling like you want to play a game 
and then firing it up and then finding it just doesn't work right. And and the advantage of a local console or a local computer is that normally once you've dialed the settings in, unless you've got a problem, it just works right. And um, with cloud gaming, it doesn't. To me, this is the flaw in, in these types of devices is that it's the assumption is made that the cloud gaming part is always going to be perfect um and uh, you know as you found out it isn't well one of the physical problems with this logitech g cloud gaming handheld terrible name is the placement of the right let's say you, you have your you know x y b a button on the right hand side right yeah and then you have your control what do you call it the uh the stick. The stick is directly underneath the A button, but it's too close. It's mm-hmm. way too close. So I found that a lot of games I'm playing, I end up hitting that. It's it's not. It feels comfortable in your hand, but it doesn't feel, at least on the right hand side, that is not a very good placement. They didn't really think about, you know, games that require both sticks and buttons, and you're going to hit the the right hand stick more often on accident after hitting the button it's just a bad placement it really is um yeah i i also find i go into game cloud right and i click one that i think it's going to launch the game but it launches a web browser there's no way to go back like on the steam deck you can always go back a screen right yeah you can't do that on this you get stuck in web browser mode and you can't get out of it the only way is to completely close the game cloud app and then relaunch it, which is not a yeah. great experience. No. So I wouldn't really recommend this for many people. The the small irritation to me is they don't build a dock yet for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I purchased one that said it was specifically for this, but it doesn't, it leans too far back and they put the charge port underneath it. So when you dock it, and it's not dockable as far as you know hooking up to a TV or anything. It doesn't do that. But yeah. when you want to charge it and it's in a dock, you got to turn it upside down, which makes the stand even more useless. So hang on, the charge port is on the bottom. It's so on the bottom, right to, in the middle. So why do you have to turn it upside down to dock it? So when I dock it, when I want to charge it, yeah, it's upside down now. Why it's is sitting, it upside? Because the charge port is on the bottom. So, yeah, but why would it be up? Surely it'd be the right way up if the charge port's on the bottom. No, then, then it's upside down. The charge port's okay. on the bottom of the device. So you put the, the, you're holding mm. it the right way up and you put it vertically down into the dock and the charge port's sticking up out the bottom of the, the charge plug is. No, there's up no the charge bottom. port on the dock. There is no dock for this officially. So right. I, I have a dock stand that it sits in. Oh, right. Okay, so... So I have to put it in upside down. And because it's thinner at the top than it is on the bottom, it leans right. even farther back, and it's sitting in a dock very precariously. Okay, yeah. I, I must admit, if it doesn't... If if the dock makes you put it in upside down, then to me, I wouldn't use that dock. Yeah, <laughs> it, to me, well, there is the no dock, dock for it yet. That's the problem. No, yeah, yeah. Right. So okay. I, I don't know. I think it's early on. It, it I would definitely not rate it as high as the Steam Deck. If I'm going to play the same game and I want to do it handheld, 100% of the time I'm going to go for the Steam Deck. Yeah. And and it's, it's, interestingly enough, I mean, the the list price of this is $350, which yep. is only $50 away from the entry-level Steam Deck. Yeah. It's currently on sale at $299 for yep. something brand new. That's never a good sign. Never. Um, 
and uh, and yeah it's, it's clear here that you need to have cloud gaming um the only thing that i think does kind of attract me to this because it's running android there are loads of on the google play store there are loads of um, emulators for old systems. Yeah, that's the next name I'm going to try. Yeah. I'm going I'm to give yeah. that a shot, but the problem with that is going to be the internal storage on this device. How big is it? How big is it? I don't know. It, <laughs> they don't really uh, tell you. Uh, I, I, I think see, if you're... 60, 64 gig. Yeah, that's nothing. Right. Well, well, no, it's not. But having said that, a lot of older um, emulating games, the, the code sizes are very small. So. Um, yeah, but... I don't know. I, I'm not interested in, in emulation on this thing. I think that the Steam Deck would probably do a better job of it. Well, all right. So, but you can just so buy a Raspberry Pi and do it, and it's so much easier. Well, yeah. That, so here's the thing. First of all, you can't buy a Raspberry Pi at the moment um, because you can't get hold of them. No. Secondly, the Steam Deck is a very, very good emulation system because it's a PC. The difficulty is is actually setting up emulators um, <clears throat> is, a, is a Linux handheld-type job. And um, I've I've read I'm not trying it myself, but I've read um, variable experiences depending on on how good the p- tutorials people use uh, and that sort of thing. Basically, with emulation on the Steam Deck, you can you get yourselves in trouble um, in terms of it not working properly or struggling. It doesn't integrate well with the Steam interface because you're not buying those emulators through Steam. You're having to manually install them and um, if you end up having to reinstall the OS on your handheld, then you might lose everything and start again, have to start again. The advantage, I think, of of an Android device is that, you know, it's 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 mobile gaming, so it's just install it from the store, um, point the point the app that you've installed um, at your at your ROMs, uh, and you're away, and uh, you don't have to worry about controls, you don't have to worry about anything like that. It's all kind of supported by Android. So I think if you if you are looking to buy a handheld device and you wanted to do a lot of old game emulation on it um, and perhaps more powerful games than you can do on on some of those cheap Chinese handhelds you can buy. They all will do everything up to a PS1, no problem, but anything beyond that, they struggle. So something like that might, something like this might be good for that if that's what you're into. Um, But it's interesting. It's not being marketed like that. It's being marketed as a game streaming console. Yeah, it's... um and and certainly three hundred fifty dollars, I I just don't see it's worth it really. I, I, I mean don't the other the other alternative, of course, you've got to this is if you have an Android phone, um, get an external controller for it, and you have this same system. Everything oh, it does, yep. <laughs> yeah. So so that's that's what it's also competing with because an awful lot of people have Android phones, and uh, you know a game controller for for an Android device is what fifty dollars something like that. Yeah, it's, uh, cheap. and a stand, and and then and then you're away, and you can do everything that this thing can do. And lots of us have big screen, well, yeah, big screen phones with much better screens and processors and stuff than you'll get in this thing. So uh, that's, that's not to say I've given up with. on it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try playing it some more um i just haven't had time recently but i'm going to keep playing with it i'm going to check out the android store more i want to see if it automatically recognizes the controls that are there or you have to set some kind of a preference i i don't know yet but i'm going to try it i'm going to play with it i'm going to see if it's it does have steam deck on it as well but it doesn't work very well um, yeah, it won't it won't play the pc games on there so um the uh competing products that that was uh, mentioned at CES this this last couple of weeks is Razer has one of these coming out as yep. well, a Razer handheld that I think is round about the same money. Yep. Yeah, um, it's going to be a very crowded marketplace here pretty soon. Yeah, 
it'll be interesting to see what that does to people who who do game streaming i've got to be honest i'm I'm kind of in the position now though where i'm thinking about cancelling my um my xbox game pass because i'm with the steam Deck. i'm just not using the xbox at all anymore uh and i'm not streaming games either for the reasons i've just said yeah. so i'm kind of wondering what i'm paying before it for it for really you better check with alexander first uh, yeah, well, he he doesn't have an Xbox. He has a uh, he has a PS4. So, oh, well. um, and and I presume that he would, uh, if he were going to upgrade, he would go the PS5 route, obviously, so he could continue to play the games he's already got rather than switching systems. Um, it, you make it sound like it's either or. Um, well, Cole has yeah. a PS4 and the Xbox One in his room, and he right. plays the Xbox One because of Game Pass. Right. I mean, he's got just not unlimited but practically unlimited access to games that he likes to play and when he wants to try a new one he doesn't have to come down yeah. and get my permission he can just fire it up because That's it's right, right there because if you, if you have the yeah because to differentiate if you have the console you can either stream them or you can download them locally and well play sometimes some games like if yeah. you do like a ps3 thing uh it doesn't download it's stream only and right. i and i've seen a few of those on xbox oh, i'm sorry I'm, I'm thinking xbox or um PS5. PS3. I don't. I've, everyone I've ever tried on Xbox will, uh, will download, will download yeah. locally. Yeah, but yeah. not on the PS5. A lot of the PS3, PS3 games are stream only. Um, I've tried a few and they work fine. I mean, the graphics, I didn't see any kind of artifacts. It just it, it caches a whole lot of it before it lets you play. So yeah. it gets away with a lot of that stuff. But but here's the other problem with this is that not everybody has internet connections that can deal with this. So a huge amount of people have um, have net connections that they they either have a, um, bandwidth limitations that means that they would hit a limit of total amount downloaded per month, which means game streaming is off for them. Alternatively, just the amount of bandwidth available is not good enough for it to. Um, to to let them run these sorts of uh, systems yep uh, and you know and and often as well it's not good on mobile because mobile again is a variable internet connection and, so, and um, we would like to think everyone has fast internet now but not everyone don't. does but you can't keep saying okay we're not going to build devices can not it, enough people now are otherwise these products just wouldn't exist at all um you were talking about ces it ended um i looked at a lot of the coverage out there not a lot kind of jumped out at me uh, I, I don't know if it's simply because the last two years we've been you know in lockdowns in different parts of the world and people working remotely and there's just not enough stuff happening um and we're seeing the fruits mm. of that right now or the non-fruits uh, of it i'm not sure about that i think the reality unfortunately is the way the media cycle for ces goes is that the a lot of the tech sites re, um report the same limited niche of products and everything else gets, I, that I, goes on there gets ignored I, I, I also think of, as someone who's been to ces a few times yeah. i know it's consumer it's supposed to be consumer facing products but half of it is not it's it's yeah. companies that are making something for the consumer facing products hey we make screens oh can i buy one well no they're for cars they're automotive <laughs> screens oh well yeah. why the hell are you here yeah. um it, it, with a giant booth i mean who yeah, really, the automotive industry is going to find you here. This is where it doesn't make any sense. Um, and I think, I think as well, and and we've talked about this before with respect to phones. So we've got to remember that the the tech industry is really becoming very mature and commoditized. And so, 
that it's very difficult to do big splash stuff now. Yeah. Um, everything is, you know, okay, so we've got, I mean, TVs is a big thing at CES because obviously those are consumer facing. Yes. But they all kind of look the same. Well, and, except for the one you were telling me about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, but, but but this is the, I think this is to me the more interesting stuff at CES. The, the, the goofy who, stuff. And you'll get this joke in a minute. The people who throw stuff at the wall yep. to see what sticks. No, exa- yes, exactly. <laughs> right? And this is, um, I read about this. This, this is a TV. And um, so I know, I know that Sony has a TV where all of the, stuff you connect to and everything is is an, in a breakout box so you just have one wire going up the wall uh, and you, you, they have a range of tvs that do this and that kind of makes sense because um anybody who's ever tried to plug anything into a tv once it's been mounted knows it's a pain in the neck because it's on the wall and everything's behind it and you can't see um and depending on how it's mounted you might not be able to get it off properly and if it's a 65 inch plasma it weighs a ton so sony does sony and i think a couple of other companies now do, do, um, delivers everything by breakout box so the power all of the video connections and everything go to and from the tv uh, via this breakout box and you just have one wire coming out of it which uh, you know helps you mount it and that sort of thing seems pretty i've never tried one but it seems pretty sensible to me but there's this company who was at ces who said no that's not good enough we want everybody wants a wireless tv and by that they mean a truly wireless TV. Right. Not even a power cable going up to it. Not even a power cable. So what this um, this device does, and apparently it's, you know, 45, 50 inches, something like this, um, it has batteries in it, and it receives, it has a proprietary video transmission protocol that apparently means it can receive 4K um, content over, over the air without any lag, without any artifacts, without any anything, which sounds interesting <laughs> but then you look at how they've implemented this and you you see the desperate flaws so it has batteries in it um and to mount it on the wall it has these uh, apparently at the corners it has these uh, electric suction motors you put it on the wall and you turn it on or you turn these motors on and it kind of glues itself to the wall via suction which is great but the problem is those motors are driven by the batteries and the batteries last four five hours something like that at that point if the battery fails the thing's going to fall off the wall yeah which seems to be i don't know about you but um the lack of power cable aside seems to me to be a flaw yeah it'd be like this i'm watching tv this is a good show oh crap (laughs) tv just fell off the wall i guess we're out of power Let's charge up the TV, see if it broke, or we can finish watching this. And and then there's the other thing, of course, which is, is, all right, so it's only wireless while you're not charging it. Yeah. (laughs) And you need to keep it charged to keep it on the wall. Which is practical cable going Practically, people are just going to leave the power cable in all the time, in which case it's like, what's the point? Then why is it wireless? Uh, LG had one, it's on the Verge's main page right now, called uh, LG Stand By Me. They say it's a so-so TV with a stellar stand. It's just a round-based stand on a 27-inch TV. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, um, and and I why? presumably it uses face tracking or something to follow you around the room. Oh my god, yeah, that would be <laughs> awesome, wouldn't it? And uh, I, I did read about one as well that that apparently um, yeah has has a camera and face tracking in it, and the idea is is it uses beamforming to make sure that you get great. 5.1 sound kind of pointed at you wherever you are in the room so you, I don't it always sounds like you su- yeah and it so it always sounds like you're right in the middle of the sound field but the problem with that is that 
Um, having cameras watch you, what you do, while you watch TV, uh, <laughs> these TV companies don't have a great track record about you know keep, keeping all the uh, privacy and security stuff. Well, so they have much more of a track record of, hey, we've got this data. Who can we sell it to? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I don't think I want a camera on my TV watching what I'm doing just so that I get slightly better sound. Um, yeah, that's and, not and what this, this is, is. Yeah, this is, but, but the, these kind of things is what I'm talking about. At the bleeding edge, there are people who are desperately trying to find the next big thing. And because they all remember 3D. You remember for a few years uh, after, but it was about we, 2010, We used to make fun of it a lot. Yeah, after Avatar, 3D and TVs was the big thing. And now it's, um, well, I, I presume most of them can still do it, but it's not promoted as a as a big thing. Because people Though don't I care. Did, well, well, yeah, because most people don't want to watch TV in 3D. No. It, it really doesn't, it, you know, the, con- the, the real problem is called the content is still 2D content. It's just got a few false layers of 3D in it. It doesn't do anything to the viewing experience. So what's the point? But I guess all these companies are trying to find the innovation that's going to make them stand out from everybody else. And they're all desperately trying to come up with something that, that differentiates them in, a, in an environment at CES where everybody's shouting, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, dual screen laptops seem to be the big thing on the PC side. One of them is, so, doesn't even come with a keyboard. It's just two screens. I, I don't so understand. So th- this is... This is the Lenovo 9i. Yeah. Um, and, and Intel had a had a reference design that looked similar to this last year as well. I remember. So, yeah. Uh, this is basically, if you, if you remember that Microsoft Surface Duo, which was the phone with the two screens yep. and, a, and a hinge in the middle, this is a large laptop version of this. Microsoft were talking about doing something called the Surface Neo that was the same thing. So the idea behind this is that you have a two-screen laptop, two 13-inch screens, um, and if you put it put it down like a laptop and, and flip it up in a clamshell mode, then the bottom screen can become a keyboard, um, or it can become half a keyboard and half a display, or you can put a physical keyboard on part of it, um, and then and then use it like that. But the thing is, is you if you if you want to, you can prop it up so the two screens are in portrait mode, uh, in, yeah, in portrait mode like a book. And then you've got a two-screen laptop with two portrait screens on that allows you to do two-screen working. And you and I, you know, let's be honest, are both fans of what we used to call the side cart monitor. Yeah. Where you'd well, have a, a king. A, well, you know, we we both worked like that for a long time. Yeah. Um, didn't we? And and there's there's certain there's certain benefit depending on what you're doing. There are definite benefits for having two screens. So you could do that, or you what you can do is you can actually turn it so that both screens are in landscape and you can prop it up and then they do a thing called a waterfall display which means it it takes the image and it and it runs it over both screens at once so it, uh, but obviously you have a gap in the middle where the hinge is um but then you you know you can read long form stuff kind of on a really big tall screen but like these old those old portrait monitors that apple used to sell um so the again the idea is to come up with a, a different form factor and kind of play around with it now, I tried the Lenovo X1 Fold, which was a single 13.3-inch folding display, a bit like the Samsung phone, yeah. but in a laptop. Right. I tried that a couple of years ago. Um, and it was the, the technology was really kind of cool, but the problem was was that when you closed it, um, it was like the phone, like if you've ever picked up a Galaxy Fold phone, it's the same problem. It was really thick because it was supporting two screens. And so when you actually 
fold it together into kind of a, a closed book style it's actually quite thick and bulky because you've got a whole computer behind both of the screens that fold it together whereas obviously the um the trend in laptops for a long time has been to make them as thin as light as possible and the problem with having two screens and with the batteries and everything associated with that is i presume they're not going to be as thin and light as um as as traditional laptops are and they're going to cost a lot more yeah so the use case really needs to be to my mind to be compelling to be able to justify what i think they're talking about nearly three thousand dollars for this thing Um, it's a solution looking for a problem well so that's the issue is is that yeah i mean it's most people the the difficulty is is the market's already solved the solved this issue i have um, for my for my home office laptop, I often need two screens because I'm comparing two documents and moving stuff between them all the time because I'm doing technical editing. Now, what I do when I'm in that mode is I have, for about $150, I have a, um, a one of these USB-C monitors. It's like from Acer or something like that. So it's like the size of a 12-inch iPad. And you just plug it into USB-C, it takes power off the laptop, and then you've got two screens. And um, you can use that wherever you want. Or if I'm sat at a desk, I've got a big monitor here, and I plug that in, and I use both screens as well. So that is a um, that 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 problem has been solved. Um, and I think the reality is most people and it's a lot less than three thousand dollars. Well, yeah, and and I think most people are going to go. You know, well, I kind of uh, if I can't do any of that, I'm just going to model through on the single screen. You've got to remember as well if you've got a laptop with a two K. Um, a lot of these laptops now come with 2K screens and the, the Apple ones come with Retina screens and that sort of thing, is you can actually, even on a 13 or a 15-inch screen, you can get a lot of uh, windows on there if the resolution is is being used properly. So there's probably a lot of people who are just squinting at the screens rather than relying on the two. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see somebody do something different and, um, you know, we should always be interested in that, but uh, I don't think... I don't see this particular product changing the world. But no. they did get a lot of coverage. They did. No, you, know. you also posted in the show notes David's new toy. What is yeah. this? So, as as I've probably just elaborated, I am a fan of multiple screens. And I also have a use case at the moment where I need multiple screens. And I've told you I have that external monitor. But... Um, just after Christmas, uh, I had some money knocking around uh, and I thought, you know what? I looked at my uh, computing life and I realized that while I've got some very good work laptops, my own personal stuff is not very good. It's pretty old and knackered. So I thought, you know, it's about time I bought myself a new laptop. Uh, and so I purchased an Asus ZenBook Duo. And this is an interesting solution to that same problem because it has a regular 14-inch screen uh, and then above the keyboard deck... It has another screen, which is kind of half the size of the keyboard deck. So it's full width. It's only about five, six hundred pixels wide. Um, And then below that, there is a a keyboard and then kind of a small trackpad. Um, And this is in a a 14-inch Ultrabook gives you two screens all the time uh, on a laptop. And um, I'm really pleased with it. It's actually it was surprisingly reasonable. Um, it was less than a thousand dollars. So, what are you um, putting on that small screen because it's so small? And well, you have to it, look down. I see that it kind of angles up a little bit, so it doesn't. Yeah, when cover you the when you open, yeah, when you open the uh, when you open the dot the deck, it angles up towards you. It lifts up a little bit, and it, the reason for to do that is to improve the viewing angle, and then also to give the cooling somewhere to go. 
uh, and actually the uh, Asus bundles it with a little kind of folding stand that sticks to the bottom that allows you to angle the computer up to you even more if you want to. Um, but because it's full, it's full width and it's full resolution with the main 14-inch display, but it's only half as big. So it's actually ideal for um, if you're doing document comparisons, you're moving between documents, you stick the one you're copying, off up, copying from down below where you've got kind of a narrower viewpoint into the document and have the main one on the main screen and it's very easy to work between them. Or what you can do is you can drag... I mean, it, the Windows just sees this screen as another monitor. So you can drag anything down there you want. So if you're watching a video for instance then what you might do is have the video on the top screen and then you might have um, a slack or a discord or a teams channel on the smaller screen um, it's great for video conferencing for that by the way because often there'll be a chat window while you're video conferencing and people talking to each other you can have that chat window below and then have whatever people are showing in the meeting window on the main screen um, it's a nice looking able... laptop i mean i'm looking it, at it, it in 3d view and i'm kind of rotating around yeah. When it's very well it's very well built is that a speaker that, underneath the or is that cooling ports underneath the screen i see two cooling ports under there but actually the speakers on this are quite good as well are they yeah um that's usually the great, biggest failing on most yeah. of these it's yeah yeah no i, I i've been quite quite pleased with them uh, and of course the other thing is they they as well as the windows stuff that allows you to do the full size ones, hdmi yeah, they've got uh, they've got their own software on there that does things with kind of you know it will move stuff around on the screens or allow you to flip between them straight away. It will just swap the windows over. Um, remember where the where the windows go. It's got another mode where you can use that bottom screen kind of as a launcher, so you can have a whole load of uh, of icons on there, kind of like you would like have on a, on an iPhone. Not touchscreen though, right? Yes, both screens are touchscreen. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so you can click on a folder and then you can launch maybe three apps at once and put them in the right places on the screen. So you can have like a workspace type thing as a launcher. Um, you can put that bottom screen into a trackpad mode and just use it as a massive trackpad. Um, and of course, if you're doing stuff like video editing, provided the apps support it and all the Adobe apps, apps do, then you can take a control panel out of the Adobe app and put that on the bottom screen and use it as a touch screen for adjusting sliders and dials and things like that while you've got your main content in the top. So it's, it's they've really, I mean, this is about the third generation of these machines, but they've really kind of thought it out pretty well now. Uh, and it does work. It, it does work really good. And the thing about it is you're not paying a premium for that. Unlike that Lenovo one, you're basically paying for the price of a, of a you know a 13 inch ultra book and you're getting something with that additional functionality kind of thrown in for not much more money um and i'm really pleased with it. it's extremely well built the keyboard even though it's slightly smaller than a normal keyboard has a great feel to it um and it actually is kind of nice to have the keyboard right at the bottom without the trackpad in the way yeah um, the trackpad's to the right of it the trackpad's to the right but the reality is it i mean i, I don't I don't like laptop trackpads anyway. I normally have a mouse attached. Yeah. But it's there if you want it. And as I say, you can turn that that middle screen into a massive trackpad if you want as and well. You can keys just switch light up. It. Yeah, it's back backlit keyboard. Mm. It's got That's you know, important. Uh, yeah, it's got um the latest gen uh, I think the one I've got is eleventh gen um core processors in, so and it you know, loads of memory, loads of storage space, it performs really well. Um, and, the, and the important thing for me is that despite the fact you've got that extra screen, you're still getting that kind of eight, nine hour battery life that you want for a full day's work. It looks so pretty good. Work. I, I got to admit, it's kind of a sexy laptop. 
It is. Yeah, it comes in kind of like a, a nice um, metallic blue. Yeah, and it looks professional. Uh, it doesn't look... Yeah, it is. You know... It is. And it's, it's got that heft to it, you know, that makes makes you feel it's really, really well built. So, um, yeah, only been a couple of weeks with it now, but I'm, I'm really, uh, really, really pleased. And uh, all credit to Asus, you open it up, it comes with the stylus for the uh, screen and a, a bespoke carry case, including somewhere for the stylus to go. And as I, as I said, it's got that thing that sticks to the bottom. So they've not skimped on the accessories either, which, let's face it, many of other other big companies, Apple, Microsoft, do and make you buy the accessories as extras. Right. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's pretty good. Months ago, I talked about getting a couple laptops. I kept the uh, <clears throat> HP for myself. I really like it. It's, yeah. it's not a... I don't think is it. No, it's not a. I don't think it's a foldable. Maybe it is. I can't remember. But one of the other ones I got was an Acer Chromebook. It's a Enterprise Spin five fourteen convertible laptop, so you can literally yeah. flip it around and use it as a uh, as a touchpad if you want. Yeah. And I didn't really have a use for this, so I was trying to figure out. Well, am I just going to get rid of this, or what am I going to do? When Cole brought his chromebook down and i saw the state of it and it wasn't working right well i fixed it yeah well no it's his personal one he has a school one as well one of the keys was even missing and i'm like what in the and it was filthy and i got on him i was like this is not how i taught you to take care of electronics and he was very apologetic and this was before his birthday and said what he would like to do is get a new chromebook well voila i've got one yeah yeah. So, <clears throat> I had already signed into the Chromebook. So, I signed out, and I had him sign into it on his birthday. Yep. And it immediately went to enterprise mode. It's, it's It says it's an enterprise laptop, but you can still, on an enterprise Chromebook, you can click personal. And yeah. it, you can log in and just use it like a regular one. Well, for whatever reason, it, that had worked for me, but it didn't work for him. And this system completely locked everything down. You had to sign into it with an organization, or it just would not work. Was and he it signing thought, in with his school account? No, he didn't. He knows better than that. Right. Um, and it thinks it was already part of an organization, because I tried to do a couple different things. Nothing worked. I, I, I spent a day with this thing trying to get it to work. Yeah. And when I say I spent a day, for someone with my technical acumen that's a lot of time a lot yeah. of time i had to send it back to uh acer to get this fixed and I, I i i'd imagine it was uh, the problem is if, it, if it's configured in the cloud it's very much designed to stop you from getting out of that i mean that is yeah, kind of the but, point but there was a problem with the laptop itself that it, right. i couldn't i couldn't select personal use it, yeah. you literally click it and nothing would happen and i did a complete nuke and pave on this thing and it didn't work I tried everything. Um, yeah. So I ended up sending it back to Acer with a note taped to the top of it of exactly the problems. Yeah. So a week and a half or so later, I got it back. Because they said it was covered under warranty for the year, and I was well within the year. Yeah. <clears throat> so I got it back, and uh, I looked at the repair. They replaced the trackpad, the, the RAM, the motherboard. <laughs> they basically... Open the keyboard and just gutted everything and put brand yeah. new in there. And I didn't want to sign into it myself. I wanted Cole to do it just in case. We yeah. had the same problem. And it worked 
flawlessly. So okay. there was definitely a problem with it, but kudos to Acer, man. Uh, you know, I it was all done um, in their ch- their support chat where the person yeah. gives you, okay, we're going to email you this, and and I asked them, I was like, is this going to be covered? And they were like, yeah, no problem. I, there was never, and I got it back relatively quick. I mean, it went down to Texas and came back within a week and a half. That's not bad at all. And I could follow yeah. around with the link that they sent to see what the status is. And then the only my only gripe, and it's not really a gripe, is I went in and it said it was shipped. And I got it the same day, but it had shipped two days before. So yeah. I wish they would have given me a notification that, hey, this is coming. You know, it wasn't. Otherwise, it was just left out on my porch. You know, yeah. I'm at work and I'm texting Julie because I looked at the security cams and I saw it. I'm like, hey, I think Cole's laptop returned. Will you go grab that? That wasn't cool. But other than yeah. that, I mean, I, I got to give it up to Acer. They, I don't know what the problem was. I think there was a fault somewhere because, yeah, you know, something that you should be able to do, you just could not do. So the, I, I think most computers that use MDM nowadays, yep. with mobile device management, yep. they kind of put something into the encrypted chip on the motherboard that basically makes sure that whatever you do to it, it's going to go back to the MDM. And uh, I, I suspect probably you had a problem with that. It got corrupted. Yeah, because it uh, thought it was a, yeah. it was already on an enterprise system. Exactly. But it gives yeah. you no clue on what the enterprise is. There's no way around it. I get why they do that. But there is an option to use it as a personal device, and that wasn't working. So yeah. there, I think so, you're right. There was something corrupt in the MDM yeah. hardware chip itself. It's interesting. You know, if you... If you're the sort of person who lives on the internet, you'll find that, uh, particularly in the tech channels, that there's an awful lot of people who the last thing they ever want to do is go to the manufacturer support. They yep. want to, you know, has anybody seen this? What can I do? And then they'll do all these kind of weird things trying to fix it. They'll re-image it. They'll pull it apart. They'll put thermal pads in it. They'll do all these sorts of things. And, and you know, and there is a real resistance to sending it back to the manufacturer. And I, I always often say to people, so you, you do realise you're paid for the warranty. Yeah. You know, it's the manufacturer's problem. And, oh, and, and then you get people go, well, I can't live without it. And it's just like, well, yeah, but it's not working right now. So yeah, you're you are living, living without, without it. it right now. Yeah. You know, oh, if I send it away, I, it must be something to do with this kind of this uh, next day shipping Amazon culture we've kind of developed. People don't want to send some away because it might be gone for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but if it doesn't work, then... There's no point holding on to it going, it's mine, my precious. Yes. You know, I must not send it back to manufacturer. I just think that uh, there there is a strong DIY component to that as well. We we want to be able to fix it ourselves. You and I are like that. that, but Yeah, we are. We are. But the thing is, if you pay a lot of money for something and it comes with a warranty you know i want somebody who knows what they're doing to fix it yeah. or maybe just change it out for another one what i don't want to do really is is uh, you know how to i mean we wouldn't do this with our cars you know we call felt terrible we, he thought he had broke yeah. something uh yeah i know that, that's always that's always yeah. a, a problem when when the kids feel feel like that but uh you know you should have said to him said no you didn't break this the one with the missing key you broke that <laughs> Uh, one of the things I put in there uh, in our notes for this week is the U.S. is looking at banning non-competes. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your thought on non-competes? Because for a while I was like, well, yeah, you get hired by a company and they give you all this training and all these skill sets and they don't want you to take that somewhere else because they put the investment in you. But then 
Yeah, but you know what? I'm not. A, I, I'm. Not, this is an indentured servitude. I don't have to work for yeah. you forever. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like many things, not all non-competes are, e- are, are equal. That's true. Uh, uh, yeah, and certainly in the UK, they're not as restrictive as they are in the US. So, um, I have a non-compete in my contract, but the way it works in my company, and the way it works in many companies in my sector, in the consulting sector, is that. Um, if you say you want to leave, what they don't want you to do is to take your existing client base with you because you're in the middle of a project. So we, well, I think mine is three months. Some of the senior people might be six months where you have a non-compete. But, but the way it works here is that, that that means when you announce you want to leave, it's three or six months before you actually leave the company. Uh, and during that time, you must continue to be paid as if you're a, a salaried employee, because you are, but you just don't work. And that ensures that what you don't have an opportunity to do is basically butter up your existing clients, say, oh, you know, I'm leaving for me. I'm leaving going to this other company, you know, so let me give you a call and all that sort of thing. Um, And that is that to me, I think, is not unreasonable because you're being paid um, and it's about protecting your not not so much your skill set, but your um, relationship with, with your businesses relationship with their clients i don't really have a problem with that I, i'm reasonably happy to do that and i i know plenty of people have done we call it gardening leave because the idea is you've got nothing to do while you've been paid except go and potter around the garden um so so that's reasonably common in the uk what i have read um because i have had people who i know in my company over the years i've been with my company for nearly 20 years now who've wanted to leave straight away and don't want to do the gardening leave uh, and what I what I had I have reasonably well aware of this is certainly in the UK is these are very very difficult to enforce, and the reason is you can quite legitimately argue that it's, it's a restriction on your ability to earn. Yes, you have specialist skills, you know, which have, you know much like Liam Neeson developed over a long career. Yeah, and you want to take those somewhere else normally for more money because when you move companies you normally do it for more money, and if somebody says well you can't do that. Um, and and you see, you can say yeah well yeah but you know but but I, I these are these are my skills you can't lock me in like you say it's, you can't um, so I my understanding in the UK is it's very it's so hard to enforce those that in fact in practice most companies don't they um, accept it's something that happens and then they let you go on now I know in the US, US it's, it's different. different it is yeah and I think it's more restrictive here than it is there uh, it, that wouldn't surprise me because in generally I, I tend to find that things to do with corporate practice and labor laws in the US are are not as friendly as they are here in Europe you mean the USA uh, yeah in the, uh, as I was saying in, they are not you as friendly the in the USA uh, did it USR? Yeah, you you slip back into the eighties. That's okay. Uh, well, I I, I think um, you didn't put the extra there S are, in there. There are different non-compete restrictions if you were in the USSR. Yes, uh, so involving gulags. The the thought chart. behind getting rid of these and banning them in the US, and whether this goes through or not, I don't know. And I think it's going to be a tiered thing. But the idea is this is stifling uh, innovation and competitiveness, and I agree with that. Yeah, um, I, I think these non competes are the opposite of what you know you're supposed to be able to do. You can't tell me how I can earn my money. Um, if I came to you because I had a skill set, now I can't use that skill set at another company. Screw you. Yes, I can. 
Um, especially as sometimes they're, you know, two years, yes. five years. Yeah, it's, it's, is, it's ridiculous. Is stupid. Yeah. Uh, in, interestingly enough, the center of the tech center in the US, California, um, you are legally not allowed to, you can have them in your contracts, but they are legally unenforceable in California. Yeah. Um, interesting that, isn't it? <laughs> where, you know, one of the areas where plenty of people might want to be doing that sort of thing they've managed to get the state to uh, effectively make them null and void yeah um, well because it which, hurts compensation because if yeah. you have to compensate me in a way that basically i can't work for anybody else and then i want a raise well too bad you're not getting one because you can't compete you can't go in this business anywhere else yeah as opposed to right. if you don't pay me yeah. i'm going somewhere else and of course that's why all the people who've come out against this, the business groups and what have you, yeah. that's what it's all about. Sure. Basically, they don't want to have to increase people's pay because of the threat of them moving somewhere else. Yep. And this is one way that they stop that from happening. Yep, which makes me automatically want to support banning them. <laughs> so do you have, interestingly enough, so in your industry, yep. you're in car sales, do you have non-competes? Uh, some do, some don't. Um, I don't. Yeah. Uh, even, even if I did, they're not going to enforce it. We've had people even go to other dealerships. Well, so here's the other thing as well. The reality of this apparently is that most low-level people never get these enforced. The uh -uh. only people who get threatened with them are, the you know, the kind of the the people earning multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Yep. Um, and because you know, again, it's it's a, there's a cost-benefit analysis. But the the other problem is you work for a big corporation. They make you sign one of these. They also stifle. It's a chilling thing. They're going to turn around and say, oh, well, you've got to move somewhere else and take a higher salary. You know, we've got a big legal department and, um, you know, we can we can we can sue you for non-compete uh, before breakfast on Tuesday and have it have it in front of the judge by Wednesday afternoon. Yep. Um, and, and it's going to make people, oh, you know, I'm scared of the non-compete, scared of the non-compete. And that is a chilling thing because that basically stops them from going out and finding perhaps better jobs. Um. Let's jump into our feedback, because we got some good feedback this week. We sure did. Uh, let's start at Donnie. Uh, go ahead. You're the feedback reader. I am the custodian of feedback. Yes. That, that's your job. Uh, well, obviously. I mean, it's it's in my title. So, uh, Donnie was talking about two things from the episode. I presume this is our last episode. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. First, as far as Tim... Uh, putting downloaded music on the phone why can't you just go to library and then download it that should let you play music downloaded to your phone no you can't because if it's not in apple's music servers uh you can't play it it won't let you it will tell you you can either use stuff your own library or you can use apple music you can't have both and that's both my issue yeah that's yeah. the issue now if there was a different yeah. music player on my phone maybe that would allow me to download and listen to music. But the problem there is how do I get the music on the phone? Yeah. So it, it it's so it's dumb. It's just dumb. It, well, it's, it's, it's a about, restriction that it's a restriction. Yeah. yeah that <laughs> should not exist. Yeah. That Apple is disallowing me to play my own stuff on my phone. If I subscribe to their cloud music crap and, yeah. and, if it wasn't for my wife and kids listening to Apple Music streaming, I would turn it off completely. I really would. Because yeah. well, I, I think that, it's yeah, that, that restriction alone is garbage. If you have a large that, music collection, all of a sudden I, I just can't listen to any of that mobily? Why? Yeah. What, what's that, the and point? That, and that is, that is one of the advantages of using a third-party service for streaming, is then you, you can get away from that. Yep. 
So, so Donny also goes, now to Google Maps and Apple Maps. As I type this, I'm on a road trip to Pittsburgh. I'm not driving at the moment, if you were wondering. <laughs> I was Donny. actually when I read that. I yeah, like, <laughs> me too. Yeah. It's actually a stopover for a trip tomorrow to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but that is off topic. Cool, though. On the way, we hit a dead stop. Apple Maps added two hours to our arrival time. Google Maps didn't change the arrival time at all. Eventually it did, and it slowly went up, of adding about 30 minutes to the arrival. In the end, we finally got through after an hour, and neither app was correct. Once we did get through, the arrival times adjusted, and we're within five minutes of each other. A big mess. So, first of all, interesting that it's using both at the same time. Um, it's using different de- ma- de- uh, map data, obviously. I yeah, wonder if... The, the Apple one's getting from, from people's iPhones using Apple Maps, right. and then the Google one's getting from people using Waze and Google Maps. I, I wonder, though, if Waze would have been more accurate, because I have found when arrival times are kind of screwy like this in Google and Apple Maps, that Waze is usually more accurate. Yeah. Which, at the moment, implies that Google Maps is not using purely the Waze data. They're not. I know they're not for a yeah. fact. Uh, but but we were talking about Waze being kind of absorbed into Google Maps. Yeah, which the problem means is, they're going to be screwed. Well, yeah. I mean, the problem is is that sometimes that happens and the, the data just doesn't... It just goes back to not being as good. I mean, look, look what's happened with Apple and they bought Dark Sky. Yep. That hyper-local weather app. Um, and I get local weather information from Apple Weather now. Um, and it's not it's not really quite as good as Dark Sky, but you, we, what you certainly can't do is drill into it the way you could with Dark Sky. Um, and uh, and yeah, Dark Sky has effectively vanished. It's even disappeared off the web now uh, and off the uh, App Store. So um, you know the problem is just because it's being folded to Google Maps does not mean that Google uh, that ways that ways um, historical accuracy will will transform into Google Maps. But I, you know, to get Dan, Donny to give both of them a little bit of a pass is that actually determining what's going to happen in the future is difficult for anything to do because it does depend on how quickly the incident is resolved and how quickly people get through and also how people behave at the incident. So um, I, I'm not, I'd probably be less concerned about the impact on the arrival time as I was about, you know, the, ideally what I want is these things to notify me of the incident before i get there and route me around them that's that's what i'm counting them on yeah uh, and unfortunately if you just have an accident happen just in front of you it can't do that but that's that's really what i'm looking for out of uh out of these systems 100 percent agree and yeah I, I i is there a better one out there now i don't know i i think that it's so cost prohibitive for a independent company a small company now to jump into this because they don't have access to the data that google and apple has yeah you, I wonder if um, somebody doing satellite imaging or something could um, do something. You know, actually be able to view the traffic from space and kind of uh, update their uh, information based on how cars are actually moving. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, he said, he said he, "Yeah, or just to finish, Donny said. By the way, we're still twenty minutes out. A total four-hour drive to come six with the traffic, several stops along the way. Yeah. So, yep. Uh, John Nemo." used to be the yep. uh, reviews editor at MyMac.com. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is to do with our little spat we had at the beginning of the episode, I think. I think so. Well done, friends. One of your best. Tim was more crusty than usual, which is always fun. And David was more brilliant than usual, which is not easy, I'm sure. Oh, thank you. Um, great year of shows with many more ahead. I learned a lot. And David's comments about Spotify are about time. 
People love to throw dirt on Spotify, but it's very, very good for music listeners of all kinds. So I think people like, like to uh, throw crap on anything, really. And that seems to rise to the top when it comes to, you know, posts and comments. But yeah. I've never had a problem personally with Spotify. I don't use it very often, but when I have, I've always been um, impressed with it. By yeah. the same token, it's like, um, give me something better then. You know, when the people keep throwing shade on it. Is Amazon better? Yeah, I don't well, think so. It might, it might, and, and that was it. My experience moving from Amazon Music to Spotify. Spotify is far superior. It yeah. still is. Yeah. And what about Apple Music? I don't know. I, you know, well, unless you're going to actually music pay as well, for all of them, it's like, yeah. I find yeah. Apple Music, if I'm trying to find something, unless I use Siri, it's so cumbersome. I, I, yeah. I, Apple was known for, as the user interface company. That's kind of what they hung their hat on for many, many years. And yet, man, they just, they've dropped the ball in so many times. Apple Music on my original iPhone was far superior than the music app is now. Think yeah. about that for a minute. That was from 2007, and it was better than what I have now. I I, th- I would be inclined to say that an awful lot of Apple is like that now. I mean, look at the changes they've made in the latest uh, macOS to the settings app, which they've turned into a iPad esque of, of the iPad settings app. Which I've always thought settings in in uh, iOS is, is a mess because it's a big long list; you can't find anything. Right, and, it's not organized. And now they brought that mess to iOS, uh, macOS, and now they've done that to, to macOS, and yeah. so it's different. It's certainly not better, and depending on your proclivities, you could argue it's worse. And I think there's an awful lot of that in. Um, in Apple's uh, interfaces nowadays, I don't. You know, it used to be they were very much superior, and they were the you know, well, it just works company. They are definitely not like like that no. anymore. And I actually say, as as a long time Windows user, one of the criticisms of Windows, which I I think still holds up to a degree, though it's not as bad as it was, was that oh, you know, the interface isn't consistent. When and you know, if you dig too deep in Windows, then you find stuff that has the old interface on it that's been there since two thousand and one. Uh, and the, there is definitely still some of that in Windows, but actually, they spent a lot of time during the Windows 10 era trying to bring the interface up so it's more consistent and it worked functionally much the same way throughout the OS. Yep. Apple has very much now got the Windows problem yes. in that there is just a mess everywhere, and none of it is consistent, none of it makes is intuitive and makes sense. And actually, if you don't know the system inside out, it's actually quite hard to use. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that someone needs to step up at Apple and the look, I'm not saying what works for the Mac works for the iPhone or the iPad at all. But I also think that if that's true, then stop trying to make one like the other. Yeah. It, you know, you, you don't have to unify the way things work if the way they work is crappier on another device. That's that's what it really comes down to. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. I, I mean, like the reason they do it is because they. I think they're trying to move to a system where they can, from a single code base, produce iOS and macOS. Yep. Uh, and and that sort of thing. And I think that's what it's about. It's about making their use of resources more efficient. But it's not user friendly at no. all. No, it's not. And you you really get the distinct impression inside Apple now that. Each of these different areas is being run by a different team, and there's a great big political bonfire about who gets to push their thing forward. Um, and that's what's causing the you know, we had the thing a couple of years ago where Safari tabs were introduced, and 
the interface in Safari and iOS was was changed, and it, everybody hated it. And they eventually rolled back on it, but presumably there was some team at Apple who politically was able to bring that to the top and say, no, this is the way. Well, they're, it was only they're when- fixing this. And I don't know if you saw the news or not that this is a big problem. So Tim Cook personally stepped up and said he's going to take half the salary to pay other people to do this correctly. So he went from $99 million salary this year to $49 million. Huge sacrifice on his part, man. Huge. In a cost of living crisis, I wonder how he's going to survive. Well, there's GoFundMe. There's GoFundMe. (laughs) So we'll make sure he gets through this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, PayPal. Tim at (laughs) Apple.com. Get right on that. I got an extra five bucks on my account. I can send them. Yeah, so, I think we got a jar of coins in the, yeah, in the kitchen. The swear shelf. jar. We got the swear <laughs> jar going. Yeah. In my house, that would be a pretty large jar. <laughs> yeah. um, and not from my wife either. Oh, well, yeah. Here's, so here's the thing. You know, I've got, obviously, I've got um, Alexander is 20. Not a big swearer, to be honest. But um, Charlotte, 13. Oh, boy. She's, you know, she's known all the words for a, a while, but now she's getting those teenage years. She's less reluctant about not saying them in front of us. Or, yeah. You know, we're, we're at the, oh, I'm using it as a joke phrase phase yep. at the moment. Rather yeah, than she's testing just, the waters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How far can I go with this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to imagine uh, your wife is reeling back on that a little bit. Uh, probably no. more me than really? probably more me than her. I wow. think, I think. Charlotte, uh, I think uh, Leanne finds it cute when she's doing it as the joke phase. I don't think he'll be as cute when if it ever ends up being screamed at us. <laughs> you know. Um, I, I keep doing dad jokes at home, and I've been keeping them clean. Like, um, what was the last one? Oh, what makes a chicken so funny? Because. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, That's a good one. I'm also a fan of the dad jokes. I love dad jokes. They're my favorite. Yeah. They really are. I used to like the dirty jokes better. I don't anymore. I like the dad jokes better. Yeah. yeah I love the eye roll. The exaggerated yeah, exactly. eye roll. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Because even though they eye roll, you know they secretly like them. They did, yes. <laughs> you don't get the eye roll if they didn't like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, last one. Okay. This is from Steve Stavisky. Uh, general matter, general manager John Coiner Pottery, Sweet. which uh, sounds pretty cool. I'm a very long time listener to the show. Is going back to some of the early days of the MyMac podcast with Chad. I've recently been bitten by the retro bug, and I bought myself a 1.42 gigahertz Firewire 800 mirror drive door um, Power Mac. That's the last and the best. Why? Because it was $75 and wow. for it, and it had two cinema displays, an extended keyboard, and a period airport base station. <laughs> like, I need more twenty, more high-quality 20-year-old top-of-the-line kitchen in my office. Right. So now I'm trolling YouTube for upgrade ideas, and I've come across an OWC vid from 12 years ago about installing IDE and SASA drives on a G4. I start watching, and I shout, That's Tim! It's insane to think that the bef- that the vid was made what a year or two before you guys started doing the new show. Yeah, yeah, yep. That was made. Um, actually, I think it's probably the same year. That would have been 2010, and that's when we started this show. So same year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I actually I found the video that he's talking about, and uh, it kind of corrects me because I did the video editing. And setting it aside. 
Yep. Now that, unplug the power yep. cable yep. from the AT. That's not my hands. <laughs> oh, I was I was wondering whether that is, it was your hands. No, it is not. Whether I, you were just doing the voiceover. I just did the voiceover and all the editing yeah. on the video. So all those special effects, all that kind of stuff. That was all done in um, Final Cut Pro. You know, literally finding a picture of the video of the machine that they're going to be working on, and what I would do is uh, once or twice a week I would drive to OWC, and it's a drive. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a yeah, ways so to get four, there. What, four four hours, something like four that, four and a half hours, yeah, depending yeah. on Chicago and, traffic. And you've got to cross Chicago to yeah. do that. Um, <laughs> I would go there with an external hard drive, and I would load up all the videos that they recorded and. What they would provide me was just all the raw footage, including all the mistakes and you know all that, all the raw footage as well as a text document of the script of what they were doing, and I would have to embellish a little bit, and um, but I would take those all that raw footage back and create these videos, and I wasn't an employee at the time. I was oh wait was I? Yes, I was. No. I was not an employee at that time. I don't think. Now I'm getting confused. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I was not an employee there. Uh, I was a contract worker. I was running my own company. This was before I worked for them. So I was, uh, you know, taking all those back to my office. I was also doing the first iteration of OWC Radio. So for a while there, I was kind of the voice of OWC because you'd hear me on the podcast. You'd hear me on all these installation videos. Um, it was fun. I liked it. I, I, I did a lot of their social media stuff. It, it was, uh, it was an interesting time, you know, it, yeah. it, going back and watching these videos now, you know, this one was April of 2010. That, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's interesting for a company like OWC because of course, there's not a lot of call for this sort of stuff anymore because the current computers are really not designed to be user upgradable. But kudos to um, them to keeping all this online. Yeah. You know, so someone like Steve who wants to upgrade an old Mac because it's fun. Is it yeah. useful? No, but it's fun. No. <laughs> no, it, it's, it is. Well, this this is the problem. So I, I my um, latest retro project, I acquired a, a original clamshell iBook G3. Oh, I love you know, those the, machines. Yeah. The, the, uh, the toilet you know, seat looking one? The toilet seat looking one, yeah. yeah. So And it works great, um, which I'm pleased about because I the really The keyboard on those are so fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, and I really, I, I'm glad it works great because I really don't want to be going in there and kind of upgrading anything because they weren't the easiest things to work on. But what I am considering doing is opening up the battery, which is shot, uh, and reselling the battery because apparently it's not that hard to do. And... Um, you know, having a laptop that you can't use as a laptop, you can't take with you without yeah, plugging it in as a pain, pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I do kind of fancy that thing where you take it out to local Starbucks and start doing some work on it. Um, it gets some looks. I had a person yeah, exactly. that had a yeah. uh, uh, an IBM ThinkPad. Yeah. So we're not talking Lenovo. We're talking IBM. The original IBM the, ones. Yeah. And this sucker was, you know, like six iPhones stacked on top of each other thick. Yeah. And, I mean, the screen was probably a maybe 512. I mean, it was it was a tiny little thick thing. And this guy was writing on it. I, it wasn't connected to our network, obviously. But yeah. he was doing some writing on there. And this thing was beat up. And it wasn't yeah. beat up from neglect. It was beat up from 
15 years of usage. Yeah. And and I just got the impression that this guy bought it new. That was my yeah. gut instinct. He wasn't a retro guy. He was using his laptop that he's been using forever. And I didn't talk to him, but I really wanted to stop and just kind of admire his keyboard cause, or his uh, laptop because it was cool. I mean, yeah. is it useful? For him, it absolutely was. Whatever he's well, writing, so he's... he's Here's the secret of of retro computing, particularly with Macs, because um, actually the web on Mac on old Macs has been a problem for a long time. Yeah. Because um, and it, and it's and it's now prevalent on pretty much um, most retro hardware. There are ways of getting these things online, and a, a lot of them are not that hard. Uh, there's various different ways of doing it, even if they have funny serial ports and stuff like that. You can get these little clever dongles, little chips. yeah, yep, dongles. They're, they're like a, they to the computer. It's a serial modem. To Wi-Fi, it's a proper Wi-Fi thing. Yep. The difficulty is, is that you can't use the web because the web is so full of Java and junk, and it requires so much performance. You can't just and but and it is a good way to email yourself the document that you wrote on this yeah, thing. Exactly because because on also as well, there's a lot of um, things to do with uh, encryption secrets and everything that are all out of date. You just can't really use the internet on these devices. But that's but, kind of the point, isn't it? It, it, yeah, it exa- forces well, that, you to do the work. Exactly, but that, that, this is the thing. Yeah, if you need to do basic the the regular computing tasks, you need working in a spreadsheet or a word document, word processing document. Or something like that, or you want to do it in coding. I'm pretty or sure he like was that. using uh, um, WordPerfect, by the way. Right. Okay. That's which is again is fine. Yep. You know, we can still download copies of WordPerfect. I, today, it's probably the original that he had when he bought the machine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and if you know WordPerfect inside out, I bet you're really productive on it as well. Oh yeah. And the thing is, is when you're just entering text, it doesn't really matter what you use. You can use Vim. You could use Notepad. You can use whatever you want. Um, the, th- the thing is, it make people go, oh, well, I can't do the web in it, so I can't really use it. It's like, well, we all have a smartphone that does the web far better, yep. right? And it's always with you. So don't worry about that. If you want to use a retro device, use the retro device. Run the software on it you want to run on it. And just for, for the stuff it can't do, don't try and fix it unless that, that's your jam and you enjoy that project. But in terms of using it as a working system, just forget about that and use something else for the other things. And you'll have a great time. Yeah. Because a lot of these systems, the, those old iBooks running uh, Mac OS 9 are absolutely fly compared to our modern computers. Because our modern computers are doing so much garbage in the background that we don't see. Uh, and we don't realize, actually, if you've got a really optimized code base on a, on hardware that's designed for, you'll find that, that they're really responsive and quick compared to our modern stuff. Yeah. You know? So, uh, and yeah, you can have some fun. You know, this uh, this video that Steve found was viewed 49,426 times. Yeah. Think about that. The only thing I'd say, Steve, is I hope you've got a pair of noise-canceling headphones. Yes. those mirror drive doors were famous for their fan They're noise. They're a little they loud, made. yeah. <laughs> it's cool, though, that OWC keeps this stuff up there. They really yeah. is. And, and, and in fact, uh, someone replied to the or posted a comment on the video just six months ago, and OWC replied. I mean, think right. about that. That that is good work on their part. They're not a sponsor of the show anymore, but no, I, I've always recommended them. I, I worked there. It didn't end great, but um, no hard feelings on my part. And they they supply some of the best stuff you can get for your Mac. They're, they're still a good company. Um, yep. I would uh, like to thank Steve, Nemo, and Donnie for their uh, contributions to the show. We'd love to get feedback 
from more of you. It's yeah. the show at techfanpodcast.com. The show at techfanpodcast.com. That's email. You can always hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just look for Tech Fan Podcast. You will find us. We hope that you guys are listening to our sister show, Geeks Pub. Uh, we may be back next week with an episode of Geeks Pub. It all depends on uh, me. I've got a big dental thing coming up this Friday, and it's going to be continuing for the next couple months. Um, hopefully, it won't impact my ability to record the show. <laughs> like that. Tim's having those, you know, the steel teeth that guy from um, Doctor James Bond had. He's yes, having those fitted. That's right. All steel. So, uh, I'm going all steel teeth, stainless. Match, he, he needs to match the front of his truck. That's right. <laughs> um, actually, the front of my truck is blacked out, but yeah. Um, oh, black teeth. Yeah, no. yeah, that's what black, black steel. Black teeth. is the new gold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they call it the zombie look. <laughs> All right, David, I will uh, hopefully see you in a week, if not two weeks. And uh, okay. for everybody out there, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.